Breitbart Bart News Daily. Thanks for being here. We have a three-hour show on Sirius XM Patriot every morning, but we'd like to give you two segments here. So I could not wait all day to share this story with you uh, about what's going on in England. England's a couple years ahead of us when it comes to immigration and uh, Islam and all the rest. So take a little, uh, a little look into the crystal ball of what is to come to America if we continue down this course. It says foreign fighters of Israel-Hamas conflict may be encountered at the southwest border. Daily Caller got a copy of this material that was posted three days ago, and it's warning about fighters from Hamas, Hezbollah, and Islamic Jihad trying to exploit the poorest southern border. Because, uh, And part of the concern is that they can see the same things that everybody else see, sees, these numbers. Uh, a record 2.48 million encounters in a fiscal year and among them at least 172 people on the terror watch list. That is 172 who actually came face to face with law enforcement. What? No. Who could have seen that coming? America's the greatest country in the world. Thanks for being here, Breitbart News Daily. No one could have seen that coming. This is terror watch list arrests by Border Patrol. So these, these two, th two things are going into this. They're uh, people who were captured at the border. We don't know the number who got away. And second, these are the people who were already on the terror watch list. We already knew that Mohammed is pro whatever. We already knew. In uh, 2017, there were two. 2018, there were six. 2019, zero. 2023. And then Joe Biden in office, uh, 15. In 2021, 2022 was 98. 2023 was 169. Again, caught and already are on the terror watch list. It's amazing. Uh, I'm very excited for today's show. We got a lot of good stuff for you today. I heard an analysis from Victor Davis Hansen. I heard this yesterday morning, and then uh, a couple hours later, this was put on uh, Breitbart.com. Uh, so we're all on the same page there. And his argument is, uh, Victor Davis Hansen, that Iran and Hamas overplayed their hand they they went too far and Victor Davis Hansen says now this uh, this is not true for Biden and Barack Obama see what Barack Obama said yesterday about all this I'll tell you that in a second but uh, Victor Davis Hansen said that people don't care about proportionality anymore they're, they're, we're done with winning hearts and minds if Hamas went into Israel and abducted a few people, maybe the world wouldn't notice. Maybe they, uh, maybe Hamas could have just hurt Netanyahu politically a bit and somehow gotten some advantage over it or something. But they didn't just take captives. They killed babies. As the truth and as a metaphor for, for what they did. They killed babies. They went too far. And the world said, we're done. And they're all going to die now. And that's it. And I don't, even with all the international pressure, even with Joe Biden and now Barack Obama jumping in and saying, whoa, guys, proportionality. I don't see how Israel doesn't just go in 
that's the end of it. Uh, VDH went on and said that he thinks they're going to go section by section within the city and surround a section and then go house to house. He said they're going to do it a lot like they did in Fallujah. And I bet we have, I'm sure we have people listening now who are involved with Fallujah in Iraq. But there's got to be differences between Fallujah and Gaza. So in Fallujah, they had these uh, hell houses, they call them, where the terrorists would box themselves in and then get jacked up on drugs, make them even crazier, and fight to the death. And that's awful. But Gaza is denser. I don't see how you can block off any section of Gaza. They got tall buildings in Gaza, you know, 20, 30 story buildings in Gaza. What do you, maybe not 30, 30 is high, but 20 story buildings. What do you do with that? So I guess um, Americans are helping with, well, of course, the special forces, but uh, even some like Marine generals are helping with the planning of it all. But the point is, VDH thinks it's going to be a slower, more tactical approach. Block by block, building by building. What a slog. And you have people talking about Obama, let me just find the Obama quote here. Uh, talking about how, uh, oh, got to be careful. <laughs> careful about uh, hearts and minds. So he says, Israel has a right to defend itself, blah, blah, blah. Still, the world is watching closely. And any Israeli strategy, military strategy that ignores the human costs could ultimately backfire. Already thousands of Palestinians have been killed in the bombings, bombing of Gaza. Many of them children, all about the children. Forget about the Israeli children, it's all about the Gazan children. Hundreds of thousands have been forced from their homes. The Israeli government's decision to cut off food, water, and electricity to a captive civilian population threatens not only to worsen a growing humanitarian crisis. Again, all the Hamas talking points. It could further harden Palestinian attitudes for generations. Erode global support for Israel. Play into the hands of Israel's enemies and undermine long-term efforts to achieve peace and stability in the region. That ship has sailed, man. That, that ship is gone. <laughs> There's no more two-state solution. It's over, and that's VDH's point. If, Victor Davis Hanson. They've overplayed their hand. They shot too far. Harden Palestinian attitudes for generations? Again, we're way, way past that, Brock. Way past it. Israel can't ignore this. You know, it's funny. Uh, I haven't heard the word justice out of the social justice crowd in the past, say, three weeks. Interesting, huh? No, you know, all I heard was, oh, justice. Justice for, uh, justice for uh, George. Justice for Floyd. Justice for this. Justice, justice, justice. We got to go back. We got to get justice for things that happened hundreds of years ago in America. We need reparations. We got to get justice. We need justice. We hear a lot of justice when it comes to Israel. I hear a lot of ceasefire. I hear a lot of proportionality. The word justice has been popping up a lot. Hmm. On my podcast, Politics by Faith, I'm not going to make these arguments here, but we talk about Numbers 35. If you'd like to, if you'd like to jump ahead and read Numbers 35, 33, about how uh, when blood is shed on a land, 
how uh, you must, you must shed the blood of the person who shed the blood. You can check that out on our uh, on our podcast. But what this is have, what this has done, and this is the good thing of it all. It's revealed a lot of the problems that we have in the West. Pro Hamas people in America, in America, it's even worse in Europe. But here's some examples in America. So this is um, CNN reporter. So we we mentioned this the other day. CNN reporter wrote a headline: "Hundreds likely dead in Gaza hospital blast." So they said they, this is after we finally found out that Israel didn't drop the the bomb on that hospital. So they admitted that sort of, but then they still had to bring it back around and blame Israel as Israeli blockade cripples medical response. So again, is Israel causing humanitarian crisis? The uh, author of that piece, one of the, there are three authors. One of the authors of that piece was Sana Noor Haq, who I looked at her Twitter. She has a Palestinian flag in her bio. Now I looked up that story yesterday and her name was taken off the byline of that story, but her Twitter still has a Palestinian flag. This one might be worse. This is a photographer for the New York Times. He posted on his social medias many times, posts celebrating Hitler. <laughs> Unironically, even if you want to give someone the benefit of the doubt about Hitler, uh, like he wasn't quoting a Norm MacDonald joke or something. This is a pro-Hitler guy. I've never even I've never heard of a pro-Hitler guy. I don't like what is so he's pro-gas chamber, pro-killing pro thing. New York Times reporter or uh, a photographer. So this was brought to the attention of the New York Times and the New York Times wrote back, we reviewed problematic social media posts by Mr. Haiji when they first came to light in 2022 and took a variety of actions to ensure he understood our concerns. Do you remember the woman who lost her job because she told a black man in a in Central Park to make sure that there was a leash on her dog. And she called 911 and 911 asked her, who, who does the man look like? And she said, he's black. And she, her whole life was destroyed. This guy's posting pro Hitler post. And the New York Times is like, we've talked, we've talked to him. About we, he understands our, our concern. No, no problem. Nothing to see here. That Hitler lover at the New York, no big. His posts were merely problematic. But if I misgender a man in the woman's locker room, that's a life-altering punishment in our society. If I misgender, if there's a man in the women's locker room and I say, you're a man, <gasps> no, I'm not. My life's over. This guy praises Hitler. No big deal. You with me on what this? But let me... Um, Let's go to London. Right? London's even worse. Europe's way ahead of us on how bad this is. The pro-Hamas demonstrations uh, even bigger than the ones here in America. 100,000. The one in London was 100,000 people waving Palestinian flags, gas the Jews, the whole thing. So check this out. They came across a bar, a pub. With so they're marching down London, down the streets of London, you know, from Israel or from the river to the sea, the whole thing, right? And uh, they come across a, a pub, and outside the pub, they, there's a flag, the Saint George flag. You've seen the Saint George flag; it's a white flag with the red cross on it. 
So you know the, the, the flag of the United Kingdom, that's the Union Jack, the red, white, and blue one. The red cross in the middle with the horizontal and the vertical line, that is the St. George flag. So the Union Jack flag are three flags combined into one flag, and the, that's the St. George flag is the red cross. Well, this, this flag is very problematic. This flag is associated with the Crusades. So Muslims see this flag and think Crusades. Not too different. It, now, just to be clear, it is the flag of England. Like, at least the Confederate flag isn't still the flag. It's an old flag, it's, but it's not the flag. The, the flag of England is still the flag of England. And these, these Muslims see it, and they think Crusades. Okay? Even though the Crusades were, again, a response to Muslims taking over Jerusalem, the Crusades were an effort to recapture Jerusalem from the Muslims. Still, Crusades, bad. The Muslims went on a holy war to take back the holy, to, 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 uh, to uh, capture the holy land, but they're not criticized at all for that back in the 600s. It's the Crusades that are <laughs> to recapture the land. That's what, see the parallels? But so, so the St. George flag, big problem, it's the Crusades. It's not too different than when the left sees a statue of George Washington and thinks slave owner. These Muslims in England, they see a flag of England and they think crusades. So it had to come down. It was flying outside of a pub. So they got their Palestinian flags. By the way, they're in London. This is not in Gaza. They're in London. And this guy can't have a flag of England. In England. You with me? Hamas, Palestinian flags, no problem. Through the streets of London. England flag in London, in England, very bad. Okay, so that's that's the deal. Let's table that story for one second. Table that. I'm not done. Table that story. Let's go to ITV News. So ITV News is one of the the 24 hour news stations in England, and they did a story, in right in line with what Barack Obama was talking about, hearts and minds. They did a story about Islamophobia. That's the big thing. So Joe Biden talked about in his speech the other day. We've got to be careful about Islamophobia. It's the most unbelievable thing. Terrorists, Muslim terrorists will kill people. And then the response is, watch out for Islamophobia. It's unbelievable. So this is, uh, 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 this is ITV uh, uh, interviewing uh, a woman here. Being called a terrorist. I've been asked to go back home. I've had people in their cars making threatening gestures. For people like Latifa Abu Chakra, a British Palestinian living in London, just going about her daily business doesn't feel safe. Mm. It makes me feel that as a Muslim... Oh, doesn't, oh, she doesn't feel safe. Terrible. This is awful. How does she feel? Let's, let's, let's check. Let's see how she feels. How do you feel? Doesn't feel safe. It makes me feel that as a Muslim woman in this country, no woman. matter how hard I work, no matter how good I can be, it will never be enough because... By the way, same, same talking points from the Black Lives Matter people, too. And do you hear the intersectionality? That's not just Muslim. It's a Muslim woman. And you hear from the Black Lives Matter people, you hear a lot of, oh, I'm, I'm so tired. I'm exhausted. The emotional labor it takes. I'll never get ahead. I, no, no matter what I do. It will never be enough because apparently Muslims and Palestinians are inherently terrorists according to the system here, according to the narrative of the media and according to the narrative of the, of the politicians. Okay. So... You have to feel bad for her. 
you have to feel bad for her. You are treating this woman so meanly. You're you're so mean, you know, with your go back home, all that bigoted stuff. Come on, bigot. Not all Muslims hold these terrible views. Not everyone in a hijab is pro Hamas. She's just a working woman. A working modern woman trying to make her way in the world. And she wants to be in London. And she wants to be in London and do all these things. These Western things. She's just like you. And here you are being mean to her. You're making it possible. She feels bad. And you should feel bad for making her feel bad. It's the exact type of Islamophobia that Biden was talking about in his address to the nation. Shame on you, bigot. Now, what ITV, I don't know if they chose not to tell you or it was an oversight, but the woman they chose to highlight as the face of being the victim of Islamophobia, she is actually herself a terrorist. She happens to be a terrorist. Now, what makes you a terrorist? I don't know exactly. Do you need to strap a bomb on yourself to be a terrorist? Are you not a terrorist up until the point you kill someone? Like what? I don't know what it takes to specifically be a terrorist. But if if you can be a terrorist short of actually having, you know, sh- 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 like beheading a human, it, like I don't know. Is your, maybe it, maybe you're not a terrorist until you behead someone, and then you're officially declared a terrorist. But if you can be a terrorist before shouting Allahu Akbar and killing someone, uh, I think she would fit the bill. This is a video that she, that woman, who's on ITV saying, oh, I feel so, it's so hard to be a Muslim woman here. And people, people are like, oh, you're a terrorist. And I'm, you know, it feels, I feel horrible. Here's that same woman. As fragile as a spider's web, the Zionist entity is shaking with fear. In an early morning shock, Palestinian resistance factions from Gaza launched an unprecedented three-pronged attack on the entity. First, armed fighters sailed over the Israeli fence to Gaza using hand gliders. Simultaneously, 5,000 rockets were launched into the Zionist entity from the open-air prison of Gaza, disabling that much vaunched Iron Dome system. At the same time, Palestinians broke down the fence which fighters had sailed over using bulldozers. What ensued was the homecoming of at least 1,000 Palestinians from the resistance factions into the fragile Zionist entity. Military bases were seized by the resistance and Israel's Merkava tanks were captured and okay. taken back to Gaza. Okay, all right, all right. Th- that f- feels, we're all about feelings, right? That feels pretty 80 and a Betty. You, you know? So again, terrorism, it's, it's, if, if you can be a terrorist before you cut someone's head off, uh, aiding and abetting terrorism, like if that also makes you a terrorist, that feels, that feels a little 80 and abetting. Now, just, I just want to be clear. That is this woman right here. Just going about her daily business. <laughs> just go, I, well, you listen, daily business, and then I, you know, I, I took a quick pause to make a, you know, a celebratory Hamas murdering spree video. Doesn't feel safe. It makes me feel that as a Muslim woman in this country, no matter how oh, I know. So hard, hard I work, oh. no matter how good I can be, 
it will never be enough. Because yeah. Uh, because why? Apparently, Muslims and Palestinians are inherently terrorists. Now, to be clear, you are one. So anyone who's ever said anything about you being a terrorist, they happen to be right. <laughs> so can you be a bigot if you're right? So if someone came up to you, uh, lady, and said, uh, get out of here, terrorist. And you said, oh, not all Muslims are terrorists. Yeah, but you are. Oh, you're such a bigot. Nope. Right. I'm correct. You are a terrorist. You caught all the the tag the the tags there, right? All the all the line the uh, open air prison. Uh, it was a homecoming for a thousand Palestinians, right? The the terrorists. It was a part of their homecoming. The fragile Zionist entity. She kept calling it an entity. That is the woman in London that ITV, be like CNN, chose to highlight as the face of Islamophobia. How dare you tell this woman to go back home? Life is so unfair for her in London. The system is so against her, no matter how hard she works. She'll never get ahead because apparently all women are terrorists, according to you white people. Cut to her side hobby. The Zionist entity must be destroyed from the... <laughs> Jeez. Uh, it's great. That's great. Come on. Come on. You can't make that one up. That's beautiful. Her Twitter, it says she's a teacher and trade unionist. I wonder if she's a teacher of. Uh, she says, we are an undefeated people. We either win or we die. Well, that's true. But Barack Obama says we can't kill anyone. That's the thing. Because she's a civilian. She's trying to make her way in the world. She's like the Barbie movie. I haven't seen the Barbie movie, but it's probably she's probably a lot like Barbie in the Barbie movie. And her Twitter feed is just full of just 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 wicked, vile <laughs> anti-Semitism, like obvious stuff. And she can do whatever she wants. But then you can't turn around and say, oh, I'm being treated like a terrorist because I'm a Muslim. No, you are being treated like a terrorist because you are one. And quite frankly, you're not even really being treated like a terrorist. You should be m- treated like a terrorist right now. You should definitely be thrown in jail or out of the country. What? All right, so let's go back to the London flag. So they have this big uh, pro-Hamas rally right, in London. 100,000 people, we're told. And there are police there. And this is a police interaction with a British chap who had the English flag. Again, in England, holding the English flag, having a, a talking to by a police officer. For the moment, anything racist or even close no, to racism no, is said. The moment anything gets anything close to that, all right, people are going to start getting arrested. It's just this is the verbal warning to let you know. The English flag is racist in England. Palestinian flag, no problem. English flag in England, no bueno. So that's where we're at right now in Western society. Would the Palestinians allow an English flag in Gaza City? So we need to pay attention to what's happening in England because they're just a few years ahead of us. Just a couple years ahead of us. Just because just geographically they're right there. That's, it was easier for uh, people in uh, 
Libya or whatever, anywhere. It was easier for them to get to England than it is for them to travel across the ocean to America. Like that's, that's the only reason why they're ahead of us. Um, here's the Metro police, the London police. The word jihad, so people are walking through the streets chanting jihad, right? And the Metro police says the word jihad has a number of meanings. But we know the public will most commonly associate it with terrorism. Yeah. We have specialist counterterrorism officers here in the operations room who have particular knowledge in this area. They have assessed this video filmed at this protest in central London today and have not identified any offenses arising from the specific clip. Uh, Europe doesn't have free speech. They don't. People will get arrested for saying things that are mean online. Do you remember the, there was a video of a girl? It was a, a body camera video of a girl who, I should say girl, she was a young woman, who said to a female police officer, you look like my gay Aunt Mary. And, like, she kind of did. <laughs> the, the, the female police officer did. And they arrested the girl for homos, homophobic slurs. Ooh, I would love for the police to interview all these pro-Palestinian people about their homophobic views. <laughs> their views on, on uh, homosexuality. Can you get them on that technicality? It'd be like taking down the mob off of whatever. The guy didn't, like... Uh, like broke some like milk law or whatever tax tax evasion with milk or something whatever like right be like getting getting him on that get him on that to whatever you guys are free to uh you know kate the jews but what are your views on homosexuals uh we think we should throw them off roofs okay you're arrested get him on that so all these people chanting jihad uh no problem no problem with that freedom of speech uh, cuz all the people who are marching and saying jihad surely they're referring to their Inner struggle. That's what jihad means. Jihad means inner struggle. And the people marching through the streets of London and everywhere in America saying jihad, they're talking about the intense inner spiritual struggle that they're uh, going through. And they're clearly clear. So just to put a bow on it, the word jihad, we are told, you know, we just can't quite pin down its meaning. It's a little, it's tricky. You know, there's a lot of nuance to jihad, a lot of different meanings. Can't quite get it down. Difficult to figure out. You know, we got specialists on it, though. But the St. George flag from the 10th century, which is now the flag of England, without question, no question, is a sign of the Crusades and has to be taken down. Sure, it happens to be the flag of the country that you're now living in, but that must be taken down. It is the Crusades. Do you see it? Do you see the intentional effort here and that we're all just we're just going along with? You see it. Let me play this clip of uh, Ron DeSantis here. Ron and Trump are the only ones talking about this fully. Terrorist attack in Israel has shown us is we're vulnerable from all the people that have come illegally because they have come from Iran, too. It's not just Mexico, Central America, Russia, China, Middle East, all that stuff. But I think what we also saw when the blood wasn't even dry on the Israelis who had been massacred, you had people in America going out protesting in favor of Hamas. And that's like very chilling. Some of these people are not U.S. citizens. They're student visas. So as president, if you're on a student visa and you're a foreigner and you're out there celebrating terrorism, I'm canceling your visa and I'm sending you home. The left, though, is always the victim. And even Bragan, go back to Barack Obama. Oh, we don't want to harden hearts. We don't want to harden. How do you put it? Um, 
It could further harden Palestinian attitudes for generations. Way, way past that. See, the left is always the victim. It's the same thing with the Harvard students, right? The, the, all these Harvard students come out and support Hamas, like right away, come out and support Hamas. And people are like, what? What are you, what are you doing? So the Arab, so the Arab Alumni Association sent an email out to alumni asking for donations to help the students because of their mental health. The Harvard Arab Alumni Association, uh, this is an email. The students may require legal counsel, health care, mental health support, financial aid, or mentorship to navigate these turbulent and uncertain times. That is so, that is so perfect. It's just like this terrorist in London who literally is a terrorist sympathizer. Not, it's beyond sympathizer, supporter. And oh, it's so hard to be a Muslim woman in London. It's the, these people at Harvard saying, oh, kill all the Jews. Oh, why are you being mean to me back? I need mental health support. And it's the same thing with Hamas. It's the same thing they do. They literally shoot rockets in Israel, kill a bunch of Jews, and then the, uh, Israel's like, hey, you can't do that. Oh, humanitarian, we need humanitarian aid. Oh, open air prison. Our mental health. <laughs> and they get away with it. What is wrong with us? And every day that goes by, these people are, are more emboldened. No question about that. Always wonderful to talk to Blaine Holt, former NATO commander. I'm just very curious about what Israel is going to do militarily. And I still have this perspective that they're, they're, it's going to be quick, like it's a video game. And that's not real life. That's not how things work. Like, oh, well, they sh- they, it should have been destroyed by now. It's like, oh, we're three weeks in, right? Well, it takes a while to get things together. And it also takes a while to have all the world leaders come to Israel and, and lecture them about how they should cease fire. But now that it looks like that's over, It'll be game time here any day now. We talk with Blaine Holt, get some insight. Blaine Holt, how you doing, sir? Great to be with you, Mike. It's good to return. Very grateful you're here. What are some of the military challenges of Israel, and I assume there'll be some American help in some way, uh, invading into the Gaza Strip? Sure. At the top of the order, you've got, the Israeli military dealing with a political problem. And the political problem is this schizophrenic back and forth between the United States and uh, Netanyahu on delaying the uh, invasion or slowing things down or humanitarian aid or wait, we might get some more hostages. Meanwhile, uh, the generals of the IDF have their forces ready to go. And unfortunately, because this is the toughest type of combat there is, with all these tunnels going tunnel to tunnel, floor by floor, booby traps, uh, every single thing that can happen. Uh, they, at the time when, when they can't go at the timing of, of, of their choosing, it makes it more dangerous for their forces. And so I am certain that the Israeli generals and, uh, and the political leaders are going to have to work this out soon about um, how, to, how to deal with the politics of the day because that's what's kind of hamstringing them at this point. Are you frustrated at what's taken so long it's been about three weeks uh or are, are you you know how this works and you're like oh no things take a long time to get you know ready yeah but i mean i i used to work on these 
particular sets of plans for U.S. European Command logistically, the resupply, how the how the battle plan would lay out. Um, this is a unique thing with the Gaza operation. But uh, what I know of my Israeli counterparts and my Israeli friends uh, in uniform is that, you know, they are able to muster and go very, very quickly. And that's their history militarily, if you go back to the Six-Day War. Um, so, <clears throat> but to, to get to your point, uh, one always hopes that in something as dangerous as this, that the military commanders get the mission and then they go pursue the objectives uh, and if they're ready, then then they should be allowed to proceed. Yeah, but again, the uh, political issues. Um, what about the? Uh, what are some challenges of Gaza specifically that you're aware of? It, it seems to be a very dense urban environment, more so yeah. even than like a Fallujah. Yeah, it, it's Fallujah times ten. It the, the the it's one of the most densely populated regions of the world. Two million people in 360 square miles nothing but urban terrain, and you're seeing an Israeli intelligence apparatus connected to its Air Force taking out and, uh, certain command and control targets, uh, trying to shape the battlefield to the favor of the Israeli army as quickly as it can. Uh, uh, special operations forces are actually in, in that area now, in Gaza. They've already kind of announced that that's happening, and what we hope is is that those special operations forces are not only getting battlefield uh, intelligence, but finding out, you know, if there are hostages that can be saved, how would that operation look like? What would be the resources required to make that operation happen? I was talking to a Navy SEAL the other day about getting these captives out and how difficult that would be. 220 now is the number we're told. So we're talking to some of the unique yeah. challenges of that. But I was talking to a, a Navy SEAL friend of mine about the intel. And I was like, how can you get any intel? He said, oh, you'd be very surprised at how much intel we can get. Yeah. Uh, do you share yeah. that assessment? Uh, yeah, we share that assessment. There are, um, you know, we call it all source intelligence. And so there are so many different media means. There's human intelligence sources, communications. There's very high-tech ways of getting at the information that we need. Uh, it's never going to be perfect. It's just never going to be perfect. But uh, in this day and age, they can get a pretty good picture, and that can inform a viable mission. And that's what we hope our special operations forces, or at least Israeli special operations forces, see. We don't know if we'll be in a joint op or not. Yeah, I just don't know how you get the guys, get people out. I don't know how you get 80-year-old women out of the, of the Gaza, even if you can find them. Uh, yeah. What are the complications it, with tunnels? Yeah, so the, the tunnels are horrible because they're all interconnected. Um, we don't, you know, the Israelis don't have a perfect map. They, they understand the tunnel system, but they're, they're going to be booby-trapped. And so there'll be, there'll be a lot of loss of life, unfortunately, on the Israeli side for uh, – they could, they could experience chemical attacks, biological attacks. They could uh, come into IED explosives. Um, they could be following false breadcrumbs, and this is all in the dark. And it's it, it's it's an amazing hellish type of warfare. That's why you, you just hope that the military commanders who understand this the best have this mission in their hands. Nobody else should be getting into this kitchen when they have to uh, when they have to cook this soup. I'd imagine that's where the captives are, right? Don't you think they're underground? I'm certain of it. Um, in fact, two of the the two hostages who just got released talked about a spider web of tunnels, you know, the best that they could give out. I'm certain that they didn't give away too much intelligence value because of the way that they'd be sequestered by Hamas. 
But at the same time, they, that that alone is of intel value because it means that some of the hostages are below ground. Some of them may be above ground. Uh, and that's why you have to be – I can tell you, if the Israeli Air Force is hitting a, a target airborne, they know a lot about that target before they've they've toppled it. Mm. I, I heard an interview from uh, Victor Davis Hanson yesterday, and he was talking about yep. the comparison with Fallujah and how he said, oh, when I was embedded in Fallujah, and you know more than even VDH, but yeah. uh, it would surround like a, an area, and then there were these hell houses, and they like blow up the stairwell of the house and trap the people upstairs and then go in – but I don't even I don't even see the Fallujah comparison because this is so much denser. So what even would yeah. be the block to block? Like let's say we get the ground troops going, what are they even going to do? How do, how do you even right. proceed? Or is everything just already uh, blasted from the air? Well, not everything's blasted from the air. So you know, back to your building example, there are very different ways, geometric ways that the army will have of. Hit this, don't hit this, push your enemy in this direction, don't have them in this direction. It's not an impossible feat. It's just extremely difficult. And what we've seen, at least on video, from the buildings that have been hit by the Israeli Air Force, these these buildings aren't really made very well. They, you know, one one five hundred pounder takes out an entire building. So um, you have to be concerned about the engineering, the, the construction. You blow up this one building, did you just hurt your own force by blowing the other? But but there are very methodical ways that they go about this type of urban warfare. It is absolutely not clean, but but there are ways to corral and push your enemy. Now the other part is, is uh, Hamas. They're not what you would call the brave fighters. They're not going to. They, they will see when it's up, and they will run and cower, and they will use human shields, and that's where this thing gets really ugly really fast. Yeah. So let's talk about people. Uh, as former NATO deputy commander, how did you guys think about the civilian? What did, what did you, how was that embedded in your processes of figuring out how to engage in a military operation? Yeah, so in, when you're doing war planning, you, you, especially with a transnational terrorist group like Hamas, you understand that one of their asymmetric tools that they might use is hostage taking, abduction, using human shields. We've seen this going back to Bosnia well before that. Uh, and, and so it becomes a separate mission set all unto itself. This is the type of work that our special operators, Delta Force folks, uh, um, you know, the regiment, the, uh, the, the SEALs, they all, uh, they all thrive in this. But, but this is the Ph.D. level of warfare. So, so there is, you know, I can't tell you how high the priority is to try to secure the release of the hostages, but you have to also pull that into the context of what are you trying to achieve militarily. And at the highest level, Israel's aims are to eradicate Hamas, change status quo in the Middle East, that they're not going to ever withstand this type of an egregious barbaric attack again. And we could understand that. So let's let's do some equivalency. If you saw in El Paso a cartel or a terrorist organization come over and do exactly what we saw in Israel, um, what would Americans be saying? What would Americans be saying about the response? And if, if the government was tepid on that response, oh, my gosh, Texans would take that into their own hands. So, um, no, it, it, I, I take Israel very seriously when they say Hamas is not going to exist anymore. When you're launching bombs, dropping bombs, launching rockets at a target, how do you account for civilians who may be there? And who is a civilian in a situation like this? What does right. that even mean? Right. So you get in 
this is where people really confuse the law of proportionality. They're yes. like, oh, well, if you know, your enemy did this, so you can only do this. Uh, they had this many killed. You can only have this many killed. That's not true. <laughs> proportionality means that <clears throat> you see that there is um, a terrorist uh, in a building, and if the rest of the building is made up of civilians, well, that's not proportionate attack. You can't go in and just eliminate that building uh, to get at that one terrorist. That's not that 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 doesn't go but but what you also can do is if hamas uh let's say hamas is in a mosque with a lot of and they bring a lot of innocent people into that mosque and they hide all their guns there and they put their bombs there and they want to hide out in a mosque well the mosque becomes a legitimate military target uh and can be hit and you have to evaluate that because right now israel is quite frankly getting its butt kicked in the information warfare campaign the the propaganda has been immense. We saw the fracas with the uh, the hospital bombing that some people still take as as an Israeli op, which it wasn't. So so even though you might have a clean hit on a target, you still have to go back and go. But what is what is the effect? What's the impact? And what's the definition of a civilian? Uh, someone who is not Hamas. Uh, someone who is uh, not a member of Hamas. They may have sympathies that way, but um, but it's a very very difficult terrain to sort those things out. Um, and what I can say is that over all this time, the, the Israelis have pretty deep intelligence files on who's who down there. Mm. Um, you know, they, they had a great op right after the, the massacre happened where they lit up the cell phones literally of the people who had perpetrated these acts, found out where they were sleeping and hit a, a large portion of them in their building and just dropped the building. What? When did that happen? That's what happened. That. That was uh, two days after the massacre. Uh, a lot of the fighters, not all of them, but a lot of the fighters, they they were filming with their phones in Israel some of their barbarous acts. These are some of the videos that the press has been watching. Uh, well, those those all have an intelligence value, and those go into an electronic grid, and those grids can be targeted. And when they find them masked, then they do a battlefield scan and. And then that's where the Israeli Air Force came in, those early, early strikes into Gaza right after that massacre happened. Come on. So they were like like pinged, right? So they came into Israel, and we were right. Israel was able you to ping it. them. Okay, here are the phones. Right. It's a little bit more complicated than that, but that's a great way to describe it. They okay, got so pinged, and then they got pinged big time. And then, and then followed them and could tell where they were when they were back in Gaza, yeah. hanging out, and that's then right. we just blew them up. Yeah, that's, uh, that sounds about right. But this gets to an interesting point. You got to so that is very effective, but something happened uh, before that massacre that really still troubles me, and it's going to have to be answered for eventually. Which is how did that intelligence failure happen? How could it be sure. that a barrier around Gaza, where um, electronically you could track a cockroach that's leaving that fence, that's a that's a little bit embellishment, but but then the next day you can't find paragliders and you can't. Uh, uh, all these fighters start coming out, uh, and that gets missed. Uh, and where do these guys train? Uh, because mm-hmm. you're you're going to see what a fleet of 200 paraglider running around Gaza, and you're you're not going to do anything about it. So they couldn't have trained there for that. Yes. So so there's a lot of missing pieces as to how Israel was blinded to, for that massacre to happen. Israel's going to have to go back and answer that. And yes. Western intelligence agencies that work with Israel are going to have to go back and answer that. Yeah, yeah, I've heard that. This is all, they all went very low tech. But still, where, where did they Not practice their paragliding? Right. That's basically. not good enough.
yeah, yeah, that doesn't get at it. That really, I mean, a paraglider is a thing that flies. It's an airplane. It can be seen on a radar. Mm. The other thing I question I have is, um, for a, a little while, the rockets from Gaza were extremely effective in defeating um, Iron Dome because they shifted the altitudes and changed the tactic. Well, how'd they get that information? And how did they know to do that? So Israel, Israel's fighting right now. They're unified right now. Um, they're about to undertake something incredibly important. But under the hood and behind the scenes, somebody better be figuring out how that, how that came about. Yeah. Uh, I got a dumb question for you. We're talking with uh, Brigadier General retired Blaine Holt, U.S. Air Force, former NATO commander, uh, Navy, Navy, uh, NATO deputy commander and uh, co-founder of Restore Liberty. Uh, my dumb question is, what's the difference between a rocket and a missile? Yeah, very little. So uh, <laughs> a rocket is going to be mostly unguided. You'll you'll run your uh, – you've got some targeting systems, a laptop, and you're going to fire your rockets, and you're going to generally get them where you want. Uh, and Hamas is not very good at that, and that's why, thankfully, um, you see 4,000 rockets launched, and then they'll say, well, one person died or two people died. Well, they're, they're, not, they're not guided, and they're not precise. A missile – a missile can go longer. A missile um, has a different type of propellant system. It's usually a much more complex system, and um, and some of them can be precision guided. So you can uh, dial in the coordinates, or you could use different you know techniques like lasing a target and then flying your missile into it. But um, but you know it's it's not it's not such a big difference. But I would say rockets are a little on the the lower tech side of things. And honestly, Hamas makes them homegrown right there in Gaza City, um, which is why you're going to have crappy rockets and yeah. a lot of them go errant. And that's how the hit um, near the hospital happened. And yeah. then what Hamas does is what they do is they make a big, you know, uh, information campaign out of it. And it worked. Yeah, I read somewhere that it was a, as much as 20 percent of the rockets that they shoot out of Gaza don't make it out of Gaza. That seems like a high number, but right. not maybe not if they're these homegrown backyard <laughs> rockets. Um, yeah, yeah okay, that makes sense. I, I got a history question. At what point mm -hmm. did we have this new warfare style where we don't just blow up the whole building, right? Like Alexander the Great didn't right. differentiate. Uh, the Vikings would rape and pillage, and that's just the end of it. You burn the whole village yeah. and you salt the earth. Like that's the end. There's no, there's no civilian. It doesn't exist. There's oh, no yeah. idea of a civilian. When did that switch into this new, new era? <laughs> I was terrified we were going to get into the Peloponnesian Wars. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it. But, <laughs> bring it on. <laughs> uh, the, if, if, it, when we get through Vietnam, um, a lesson we apparently did not learn, uh, but one of the things that did come out of Vietnam is the development of precision-guided munitions. Precision-guided munitions allowed us to put, you know, I, I guess there's a, cliche term out there, warheads on foreheads, where, you know, the technology was spiraling and we'd get better and better and better at targeting. And so when 9-11 happened and we started Operation Enduring Freedom, the targeting sets and the weaponry allowed us to get much, much more precise about what we were going to hit. And this only goes up from there. And then you start looking at predators and then you start eliminating high value targets and you can get them very precise and dial down the explosives to get exactly at what you want to do. Well, with that <clears throat> comes expectation. And so what people start to see is, oh, well, we're going to have less collateral damage. And then 
you know, in Afghanistan, there was a four-star general who put out this thing called a directive, and the directive was we're we're going to prize civilian life over military objectives, essentially. And uh, but that's not a new thing that was actually done in Vietnam as well. Uh, the problem is it makes it much more dangerous for our forces when that happens, but it also imbues the public with this perception that, oh, well, war is something where just the combatants fight and the, the we can have an Afghan wedding over here and it's going to be just fine and nothing will happen to it. Well, then the bad guys go, oh, okay, so they have a great sensitivity to civilian casualties. Let's just go make human shields. And the cycle repeats and goes on and on and on. But it's really precision-guided munitions out of the Vietnam War that kind of got that perception I don't think we're going to have that perception going forward. I think the things that we see happening in this world, especially when you look at Ukraine, look at some of the things we see in the Middle East, it's that the, the, those those things are going away. Um, oh, very interesting. Unfortunately, I wanna, I wanna, the bad guys don't don't care about civilian casualties. Yeah, I want to I want to pivot into that in just one second. But one last thing: it's not only it's about civilian casualties. We're also still interested in civilian hearts and minds. And I think Victor yes. Davis Hanson made the point that that ship has sailed, but. Here's Barack Obama, the Israeli government's decision to cut off food, water, and electricity to a captive civilian population, which, by the way, this, and I made this point. I want, I'm curious your, your, uh, your uh, reaction. When this was all going on, there was a lot, when this first started, uh, a lot of people on CNN and the rest were just like, appalled, just shocked, and like this horrific uh, cruelty that's being imposed. And I said, oh, it's just a siege that's been around yeah. for thousands of years, the siege. There's nothing right. new here. Right. Uh, but anyway, to a captive civilian population threatens not only to worsen a growing humanitarian crisis, it could further harden Palestinian attitudes for generations. So we have to worry about Palestinian <laughs> attitudes for generations. How do you handle that as a former NATO deputy commander? Yeah. Well, the first thing you got to do is go back to the start. Um, if that Saturday with paragliders and horrific barbarism and cutting off babies' heads and burning people alive does not happen – then none of this happens. And so um, for a former president to um, come out while open operations are going on and pick up the side, the other side, the enemy of uh, uh, the enemy's plight uh, of our ally um, uh, and to speak out against the Israelis before they've even started their operation is amazing to me. It's stunning, actually. And it helps the info war, and it helps what Hamas is trying to achieve. So it's not, it's not helpful. And, you know, the, the, I, look, I, I'm friends with Israeli generals, and I can tell you that they have no interest in killing indiscriminately Palestinians. In fact, they're going out of their way to try to avoid that from happening. But, but this notion, this cottage notion that, um, oh, if we can just get the water and the power and the gas and the food there, um, the, the Palestinians will get that. No, that's not true. It'll all go to Hamas. And, and they don't really care whether the Palestinians have a bite to eat and have a, a light to turn on. They could care less. Um, so people have to watch how they play into the propaganda. And I'm not, I'm not sure that they do watch it at all. I think that there's this populism of, you know, hey, pull for Palestine. And it's like, hey, get your face back to what happened last Saturday and ask yourself if that happened in the United States, would you feel that way? I want to ask you uh, your, your thoughts on how you've war-gamed out how World War III happens. Uh, I'm of the school of thought that, of course, there will be a World War III. I don't know if this is it, but of course there will be if we're not already in it. Uh, but we were talking to Frances Martel. She's the Breitbart World Editor yesterday. And I asked her about this, and she says mm -hmm. she doesn't think there'll be a World War III for a while. She thinks there'll just be like 100 years of 
skirmishes all over the world. Arms are flowing. People get their war in. We're battling yeah. here and there. Border, and and yeah. that's just, we'll just kind of stay like this for a long time. What do you think about those little two? wars? Yeah. Little yeah. wars. Uh, well, she may be right. I doubt she is. I think that right now, um, when you start to look at how American weakness from the start of the failure in Afghanistan, uh, through Ukraine to now, and all of these regions as a result that are bubbling up into wars and potential wars, uh, the trend lines are fairly clear and it's, Without American leadership diplomacy on the world stage like it had been, um, I would argue against her notion. In fact, I would say a lot of the what I call the tectonic plates of the Third World War are starting to come together and crash into one another. I mean, if you just look at the Middle East, you've got big powers all involved. Russia is behind Iran. China is floating its fleet in there and wants to um, somehow take up the cause of the Palestinians, which they never had an interest in until three days ago. So um, there there are aggressors in the United States world that are looking at the actions of this national security team that is intact, and they are sizing us up, and they're looking at next year's presidential election and going, wow, the window will close. So Here's here's the time for opportunity, and uh, and the the time that I see right now is is a time where you know what's the path to World War Three? Oh, I could paint you about eight of them. What I would try to remind Americans are Americans typically think wars happen overseas. Well, I would remind you that over five million unaccounted for people are now in our country over the last three years, and many of them hail from these groups. Some of them hail from the PLA. Michael Yan, uh, a correspondent, is down in Darien Gap just cataloging all of this. And and if and if things happen overseas that are really bad, don't think that this won't be turned into a battlefield, too. I hate saying that, but it sure. is something that we should have an expectation uh, We've of. been very, very uh, pampered uh, away from that. Uh, let me just add, you say, you say eight, and I just made up that number, but what is one potential Archduke Franz Ferdinand moment uh, that you potentially yeah, see? Right. So let's look at what's happening right now. Um, if the elimination of Hamas uh, starts to go and it's not held up as, an, uh, as a, just a one-off Israel's taking care of Hamas, you can see where um, Hezbollah might be opportunistic and say, okay, Israel's committed. They're committed in the south. We're confident the United States is not coming into this war. We're going to attack out of the north. And we're going to do it with Syria, and we're going to be backed by Russia and Iran. Well, Israel sees that, goes to the United States, and says, you're going to have to take care of that for us because we don't have the forces to do it. Now we make a decision. Are we in this thing? Are we out of this thing? If we're in this thing or out of this thing, it doesn't matter. The the war is really with Iran. If that's the case, Tehran now becomes a military target. Um, If Israel strikes it or we strike it, does that then create the global states uh, going to war? Does that then bring Russia into the war? Those decisions would have to be made. But you can easily see the acceleration and the tumblers, and we get ever closer to uh, the, the biggest weaponry that we all fear, which is the nukes. And, and so that's why I say we are playing with a box of matches right now. And, and <laughs> we, we have to take a step back. At the exact same time in this scenario, um, Look at the imminent financial collapse. If you look at all the sovereign wealth that's sitting in those Gulf states and all those banks that get zeroed out, don't think that that keeps Wall Street isolated. 
so it's it's this storm that just goes to a place that people can't really even imagine or get their arms around right now. But but that's just one path about how the tumblers could go. And so a lot of strategists like myself sit there and they look at this and they go, oh, wow, that could that could bring us to the bad place, um, depending upon how the capitals play their cards, depending upon how these next steps go. Brigadier General Blaine Holt, U.S. Air Force, former NATO Deputy Commander, Restore Liberty. What's the website? Is it, is it the one with the dash in it? Yep, restore-liberty.org. Thank you for saying so. Please come see us. And uh, we've got a county guardian program so you can make your own community resilient from some of these perils that we see forming up. Oh, very good. Yeah, uh, restore-liberty.org. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. Take care. For your insight. I'm American-made. Thanks for listening to Breitbart News Daily. Congressman Ben Klein is going to be with us tomorrow. We've got to talk about the speaker's race. They're trying again to get someone. So we'll get a congressman who's there, get his insight into what these candidate forums are all about and the voting behind the scenes before they go to the floor. What a, what a mess the whole thing is. Uh, so we'll talk with him about that tomorrow. Mike Slater, Breitbart News Daily. Spread the word. Apologize.